during the course of this Christmas season, we've been reflecting on a couple of verses in Paul's epistle to Timothy as he sums up in one of the ancient hymns or perhaps even an early creed, the account and the story of Jesus begins by reminding us that He appeared, He manifested Himself, He showed Himself in that manger. And throughout this Christmas season, each and every message, we touch upon that passage of Scripture, and our intent tonight is to touch upon that, and as we spend some time reflecting upon some of the truths of this Christmas season, to remind you that traditions are important, they matter, and they're significant. One of those traditions is for the kids to come up here on Christmas Eve. I know it's something that they look forward to, but maybe I'm a kid at heart. It's something that I look forward to, because there's a sense of innocence, and they haven't lived in this dark world long enough to to lose this notion that what did He come to save us from? Don't you know what's going on in my life? And sometimes we need that that fresh perspective and that fresh hope to set aside the things and the realities of life to worship. So we reflect upon that and turn our heart to the Scriptures. We're not going to, to read Luke chapter 2 again, but it is the profound text that announces and reveals all of the historic events that happened. I want you to know that's not the story of Christmas, that is the narrative of Christmas. It's an historic narrative. It actually happened. Through the annals of history, there is ample proof that indeed, at that particular time of year, celebrated by Christians centuries and, and millennials later, there was a child born that claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the earth. In fact, it would be an understatement to say that the incarnation of Christ and His birth in the manger is the most profound event in human history from the beginning of creation. Even in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned against a holy and righteous God, God killed animals and clothed them with the skins of those animals. There was a barrier between God and man. No longer was a perfect environment, but an environment tainted by sin and people horrifically tainted by sin. And throughout the course of the Old Testament, there were all types of promises through the Scriptures and through the prophets and through those men of God who recorded the Scriptures and, and wrote as the Holy Spirit directed them. And men spoke on behalf of God in the printed pages of the Word to reveal to us this historic narrative that it really happened in a real time and in a real world. And this most profound event in human history has been observed ever since that particular time. And yet, we're going to introduce you tomorrow, and maybe even a little bit tonight, to an individual in Luke chapter 2, shortly after the birth of Jesus, who was relying on the promises of God as he would go up into the house of God and to the temple to worship time and time again. As you will find out tomorrow when we worship together, his name is Simeon. He's called in the Scripture a righteous and a devout man, and he was waiting. And the Scripture makes it very clear that he had been waiting a long time. In fact, I want you to know that Israel had been waiting a long time since God had ceased to speak through the prophets 
And what we know to be the Old Testament canon was closed, and God wasn't speaking directly into the culture. He was still moving, and He was still leading, and He was still dealing with the world that He created because He is not only the Creator but the sustainer of all of that. But He was silent. And for 400 years, Israel was crying out to this God who had made them all of these promises, where are you? Don't you know what's going on? Can't you see us? Simeon was one of those individuals. And as as the child's parents took him into the temple for worship after eight days to be circumcised and to offer their offerings, it just so happened that Simeon was there at that particular time still waiting. The Scriptures tell us he was waiting for Israel's consolation the fulfillment of a promise, waiting for God to break His silence in the deafening silence of the world which Israel existed in. And God had broken His sign. God had broken His… God has broken His quietness. And He spoke through an angelic choir, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior. We're going to get back to that because that is the critical consolation of Israel. Someone who would deliver them, someone who would make all of the wrongs right, someone who would correct all of those things that went so terribly wrong. That is why this is the most profound event in human history. And Simeon had lived his whole life up until that point in time waiting yet believing in a promise. The promise has arrived. Simeon is now holding the child in the temple, and it's clear to him through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that this is the consolation of Israel. This is indeed the child and the promise and fulfillment of the promise that he had been waiting for, and he took up Jesus in his arms according to the text, and he blessed God. He worshiped God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I have been waiting all of this time, and now my eyes see. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. No longer was he living on a promise. He was holding the answer to that promise in the person of Jesus Christ, and it caused him to have this tremendous sense of hope that God is now intervening again in culture, both in the Jewish and Gentile cultures, and it led him to worship, just like we're worshiping tonight. There's a song that we've tried to tie together and some of our celebrations this Christmas season. We introduced it to you. It is called Glory in the Darkest Place. It reminds us a little bit of Simeon's dilemma. Year after year after year after year after year, some 80-plus years, going to the temple in Jerusalem, waiting and praying for Israel's consolation. God, when will you make this real? And God has now spoken. The words of that song are out of the depths of silent night, 
Emmanuel came and heard our cry. Our grief is strong and our burdens are great. The night is long and our hope is faint. You can imagine for all of the promises that God made to these people, what must have been going through their hearts and minds after He had been silent for 400 years. I suppose you begin to wonder, is it really true? Did he really believe it? Is it ever going to happen? But Simeon never lost faith in that. And he lived out his life according to that promise. The song says, you came to set the captives free, a morning star of joy and peace. But why does this darkness feel so deep? And why can't our weary spirits see? I think it captures the essence of his life. Glory, glory, glory in the darkest place. Glory, 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 let your mercy reign. For out of the depths of silent night, a Savior born, a mother's sigh. The darkness trembled at the star, a beam of hope for troubled hearts. You came to make your blessings known and bear our curse of death alone. You came to share our suffering, so in our sorrow we could sing. And immediately he went into this act of worship and celebration and praise for the fulfillment of all of the promises that God had made. But it didn't change a lot not in Israel. It didn't change a lot amongst the Gentiles. It would take some time for this announcement of the birth came to some lowly shepherds on a hilltop. And you can imagine as they go and tell this glorious tale of all of these miraculous things that they saw, that there was probably some cynicism when people heard that. They wondered at those things told them by the shepherds. It was almost too hard to believe. The course of that first century, the message got around and more and more and more, the message of Christ and Christianity would be known, and, and, and it would grow into that reality of the death of Jesus Christ for the sins of all mankind, and the church and its establishment would preach that gospel beginning with the incarnation for the years that were to come. So, in light of this most profound event in human history, what remained to be seen was this. What would the Gentiles do with this promise? What would they do with it? How would they respond to it? How are they going to react to this glorious reality? Even more so, what about His people? The fulfillment of this promise was indeed the glory for the people of Israel. But what would they do with this promise? We would find that some of them would be a part of the crowd that would scream 30 years later, crucify Him, crucify Him, crucify Him. But even that was part of the plan. And the light of the world had come. You know, we live in a world where truth is relative, but I want you to know that truth matters, and it matters eternally. The only real solutions, the only thing that never changes is God. And if indeed this book, this Bible, is the Word from God, and the Holy Spirit superintended in in the mind's and in the hearts and in the eyes of those who penned this Scripture, this is God's message to all mankind, both Jew and Gentile. So to pay attention to that truth has eternal consequence, and it's consistent 
Over generations and millennials, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God speaks, and He speaks so clearly that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, the Savior of the world, the consolation of Israel. Sometimes our world tires at the truth that we preach and proclaim. So sometimes we need to proclaim it in fresh and creative ways. And one of those ways, of course, is in the songs that we sing. There'll be no jingle bells tonight. The songs will tell the story. The children's book will tell the story. The Scripture will tell the story. I will tell you the story. We will sing about that story. We will worship the king of that story. And that is what it means to understand this most profound event in human history. It was the great reformer Martin Luther, as I told you last week, who said, next to the Word of God, music deserves the highest praise. The gift of language combined with the gift of song was given to man that he should proclaim the Word of God through music. That's how we choose our music here. It is all for the glory of God, and it's not for your benefit. It is to remind you solely, not to put a tap on your foot or a little jingle in your mind. It's to remind you that truth matters, and it matters eternally. And the only eternal truth that matters is that truly, truly, this is the Son of God, and this is the most significant event in human history. But we live in a culture of pernicious lies, destructive and and harmful lies abound all throughout our culture today. Some of those lies are subtle, They're add-ons to the truth that somehow dilute the truth. You know how that goes, right? Sometimes as you begin to add and elaborate on that story, and it's all simplicity, we begin to lose the majesty of the story in all of its simplicity. And some of these add-ons, and we're guilty of this as churches sometimes, obscure the real story of Christmas. We don't intend that, but, but they're harmful this world of political correctness, we have lumped Merry Christmas and the birth of a Savior with every other holiday and ethnic celebration you can imagine. And it blurs the reality that there is only one most profound event in human history, and it's only attached to the celebration and worship at Christmas. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, and it is the man Christ Jesus, but He came in the form of a child. What a glorious story indeed. What are you going to do with Him? What do you do with that promise? What do you do with that reality? Of course, there are blatant lies, and this is why I believe that this children's story is so critically important. (laughs) There are There are many voices who are out to plant a seed of doubt in the minds of your children, to blur the lines of distinction, to teach that there's many paths to God, and to rob Jesus of His rightful place of glory through the Scripture and through the song and through our traditions we need to remind them that there is only one story, and it's a glorious story story indeed. There was a saying that came out of the Reformation. It went like this, after darkness, light. That is the story of Christmas. The darkness 
and the silence of God and the quietness of God in the midst of all of His promises had now been, been lifted, or at least the light had entered into that darkness, and now there was light, and that light of the world, indeed that light of the world, is Jesus. We remind you in song, the world waits for a miracle. The heart longs for a little bit of hope. O come, O come, Emmanuel. A child prays for peace on earth, yet she's calling out from a sea of hurt, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O can you hear the angel sing, glory to the light of the world, glory, the light of the world is here. But here's, one, here's what you weren't ready for, and maybe, maybe you're a better man or woman than I am but I'm not always ready for this. Sometimes these pernicious lies come wrapped up in a package of truth. We mean to communicate the birth of a Savior, and yet we, we somehow lose our way and, and promise you that Jesus Christ came to take away all of that darkness and to take away all of your frustrations and to take away all of your pain and take away all of your circumstances. And somehow that clouds the reality of the story. But that's not why He came. Remember the, the announcement of the angel? For unto you is born this day in the city of David someone who will make all of your dreams come true. That's not how the story goes. Was a savior, a deliverer. And to know the Old Testament meant that he would be a suffering servant. And the deliverance of his people from their sins would come at a great, great cost. Sometimes when we talk about the light of the world and celebrate at Christmas, we we almost minimize the pain in the world and the darkness and in the world. And and I, I want to encourage you, and yet. I want to remind you a little bit, too, and this matters. Sometimes, when you recognize the light, you're also able to see how dark this world really is. Have you noticed that? Sometimes that light shines on the ugliness of the world as we know it. Sometimes that light shines on the ugliness of our sinful hearts. Sometimes that light shines on the ever-darkening pagan culture in which we live, and it causes us to scream, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. He's here. But you've misunderstood why He came. Indeed, He came into darkness so that you might recognize that darkness, that you might see it clearly, not to take it away, but to promise you that a better day was coming. And this notion that Jesus is here, so life should be easy, is not the message of the gospel. In fact, the longer I live and the darker the world gets, this story of Christmas shows me how dark this world has grown even in my short 62 years. Have you noticed that? Anybody else? And it's a dark, dark world, and it took the light to shine on that for us to see it for what it really is. There's nothing here that has of eternal weight and, and value. There's, there's nothing here that can, can satisfy the longings of your heart. There's nothing in this dark world that can take away your pain. There's nothing in this world 
other than the gospel of Jesus Christ that reminds you that a better day is coming. There's nothing that can satisfy the longing of your heart. In the embrace of a Savior. And in this darkness, both you and I have been prone to ask, how long, O oh Lord? It's not supposed to be this way. Your story paints a different picture. I need something from you. I need you to interject in my life. I need you somehow, Father, to to soothe my, my sores and mend my heart. But maybe the story is to remind us that that doesn't happen here because this is a dark place getting increasingly darker. And maybe you were expecting all the wrong things. Did He come to make your life easy? No, He came to address the darkness, but in a a really fundamental and foundational way. If you've missed everything else, this is important. He came to defeat sin, and darkness is a result of sin. And Jesus ultimately defeated sin and pronounced it as finished. But He's not finished with you, and He's not finished with me yet. And we still live in a dark world, and that's why we gather on a night like this, because we believe in the promise, and we believe in the hope, and we worship, anticipating that a better day is coming. I don't know about you. That sustains me. And I don't know about you. The world is getting darker by the day. But Jesus entered into that darkness, and He bore our sorrows, and He laid down His life, and He conquered the darkness, meaning sin, and that is where we hope, and that is where our hope lies. And on that hill outside of Bethlehem, through the announcement of the angels, and the most profound event in human history, it brought some perspective that into this darkness of sin, the light of the world has come. So here's what I'm offering you this morning, Christmas perspective. What is a Christmas perspective? It is finished, but we're not home yet. It is finished, and we'll be home soon because God always keeps His promises. The story of your life and the story of my life is still untold for the years that we have left. So we cling to the promise, and we live by hope, and we worship in the darkest of worlds, believing that all of this is true. Oh, by the way, it's all true or none of it's true. I'm growing thin in my patience for those who want to hang on to certain things and not other things. This is King Jesus, the Savior of the world, the Creator and the Stainer of the universe, and the Lord of everything, including your life. It is all true. And it doesn't matter how dark it gets. It doesn't change that truth. And in that Christmas perspective, we must learn, and again, we encourage you to join us tomorrow, 
that in the season of promise, when we're clinging to the promises of God yet unfulfilled, there comes a season of hope where we know that He's spoken, but we're not home yet, which is followed by a season of worship as we wait for the fulfillment of the faith. So here's where we started, December 4th of this year in our Christmas message series, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, for He, meaning Christ, was manifest in the flesh. It began in the most profound event in human history. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was vindicated as the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, seen in His resurrection. He was ministered to by angels at His birth, at His temptations, at the trial, and ultimately at the ascension into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. He is proclaimed among the nations, and until He comes, we must continue to proclaim Him among the nations. And here's the best part of the story He's believed on in the world. And if that's you tonight, you have hope. If that's you tonight, you have promise. If that's you tonight, you can gather and truly worship no matter how dark this world is because a better day is coming. And you know why? Because He's been taken up in glory. And He said that where I am, there you may be also. That's the end of the story. And we're not home yet. Sorry if I've ever misled you that the gospel means you have your best life now. (laughs) The gospel means this is a dark world, but you can hope that a better day is coming, and it's rooted in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone, the Savior of the world. And I know, and my conscience is clear, that you've heard that plenty of times from me. A better day is coming. Anyone getting impatient? (laughs) So we worship. And like Simeon, we wait And in our hearts of hearts, we believe that this Christmas perspective in the midst of the darkness of the age will remind us that this same Jesus who was crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for the saints, and this same Jesus shall reign forevermore. There's a passage of Scripture that reminds us of that in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality of God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you notice the language that Paul uses to the church at Philippi and how similar it is to the announcement of the angels on the hills outside of Bethlehem? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
Son of God, Son of Man, there before the world began, born to suffer, born to save, born to raise us from the grave, Christ, the everlasting Lord, He shall reign forevermore. That is the story of Christmas. No matter where you find yourself, even if it's the darkest place, it's a glorious story and God's not done speaking into your life. But know this, because of Jesus, a better day is coming. And that's why we worship at Christmas. Father, accept their worship in all of its simplicity and remind us that it was never about a better day today, but a glorious day tomorrow when we stand in your presence and we sing with the voices of every age, of every people and every tongue, praises of the Christ, the manger, the Savior of the world, the light of the world, our King. As we wait in darkness, teach us to worship. Show us your glory that I believe soon will become life for all of us as we hear the sound of the trumpet. Encourage us, show us your glory, and accept our worship. On this day we pray in Jesus' name, amen.